Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. Is Pope Francis losing the allegiance of his most vocal partners among the modernists in the church? There is that assertion being made in some quarters, and I want to go over that today because if it's true, then it has certain implications for the coming changes to Samorum Pontificum and to the coming Mega Synod in 2023. This assertion is being made by well-connected Vatican insiders who come from across the modernist to traditional Catholic range of ideas, so this isn't an observation coming from random social media figures. So let's dive in, because the implications of this, if true, are enormous. We'll start with a take from a cheerleader for Francis, who says that Francis is tearing down the old order of the church and building a new edifice. Seriously, for those who have been listening to me for a while know that I talk about something frequently that comes from Catholic prophecy that I call the ape of the church. This author, Robert Mickens, is a modernist who uses nearly the same language to describe in glowing terms what is going on. He begins his talk by focusing on the last years of the Benedict papacy and the messes that led to his alleged retirement, and suggests that those problems then were a reflection of a management style that was out of step with the secular world. Quote, It was a mess, and today... One could look back and say, sure, it was easy back then for someone to spout off about a supposed Vatican implosion. Indeed, some people have since told me that the ascension of Pope Francis has revealed that my analysis was off-base, but nearly a decade later, I'm convinced that the thesis still holds, because it was not based on what did or did not transpire in Benedict's pontificate, even despite the kairos, the special providential moment that many Catholics believe we've been experiencing since the ascension of the first ever Jesuit pope, sorry, the church continues to implode, end quote. He was saying that essentially that at that, that things going on at the end of the Benedict papacy were a sign of the uh, end of the old order for the church and something new being needed. Now, and I'm going to, you know, interject here, though. It's often that we forget to make a distinction between the church and the ecclesiastical institutions that we call the church, you know. And as I've said before, I've done this myself. Because the church, capital T, capital C, is not imploding. And I don't think that the author would say that the divine institution by, founded by Christ our Lord is doing any such thing. It is metaphysically impossible for that to happen. But that haven't been said. That isn't my real complaint with this article, but I'll let the author continue to make his point. Quote, In fact, in some ways, Francis seems to be deliberately hastening its inevitable collapse by implementing the principles and methods outlined in Evangelii Gaudium, his vision and blueprint for church renewal and reform. Let's be clear, we're not talking about the end of the church. No, it's about the crumbling of the present governing and organizational structure, which continues to mirror certain features of the Roman Empire, more than it reflects the organization model of ecclesial life that is found in the New Testament or was experienced in the first couple of centuries of the Christian church. Francis is effectively laying the foundation of, for the deconstruction of the current model by patiently planting the seeds for the church's structural conversion by baptizing and employing four key sociological principles. Time is greater than space. Unity prevails over conflict. Reality is more important than ideas. The whole is greater than the parts. Ultimately, the Pope's goal is to make the structure and mentality of the Church more reflective of the Gospel and person of Jesus Christ, and liberate it from a codified system of rules and philosophic ideas still deeply wedded to the culture of the ancient Greco-Roman world. Through the process of synodality, he is opening up spaces for dialogue and discussion that involve all the holy people of God and not just the male clerics. End quote. 
what a lovely example of modernism if I've ever seen one. In fact, there's so much modernism in that statement that I can't even really focus on all of it here, it, but it's a doozy. But a hallmark of modernism is the demand that the church conform to the world. And here we have a textbook example of someone cheerleading for the church to model itself off of organizational and power methods of the world, which, by the way, are themselves obviously fading away and being replaced by something more top-down than we're used to seeing in the modern world. I mean, that's obvious at this point, even if it won't appear to be that way to the typical person for some time. But that is what the author is doing here, claiming that Francis is purposely bringing it all down, which is quite possibly true, to be honest. But the author thinks this is a good thing for the future of the church. One of my other complaints about this piece is that the author engages in another of the hallmarks of antiquarianism, which is the error formerly rejected by Pope Pius XII, where there is a call to go back to the way things were done by the earliest Christians, and usually that call is based off of a poor understanding of history or a complete fabrication of how things were done, and I think you see some of that here. This is not to be confused with the position of the traditionalists who just want the faith as it was taught before the non-council pastoral council of Vatican II and how that sent the whole church into an open tailspin. But this article is interesting because its purpose is clearly to sell to the faithful in the English-speaking world the upheavals brought about in the open by Francis and his allies in the St. Gallen group. And he's right about one thing. Francis is trying to bring the management of the church in line with that of the secular world. That's just not something to be applauded. Now, I wanted to contrast that to the piece here by one of my favorite Catholic commentators and writers of our time, Antonio Sochi. You may not be familiar with Mr. Sochi, but his two most important works were the kinds of people like you who listen to these kinds of podcasts are The Fourth Secret of Fatima and The Secret of Benedict Sixteenth. The Fourth Secret of Fatima is an examination of whether the Third Secret of Fatima was fully revealed to the public. It's where you get the, you know... Uh, message A, message B, things that you've heard I and others talk about when we're talking about the third secret of Fatima. That would be the uh, the actual words of Our Lady, or the words of the message that may or may not have been revealed in 2000, and the interpretation which uh, that would, would have been given by Our Lady and never actually made public to this date. And Mr. Sochi began writing that book, actually, to support the Vatican side on that argument, on, on the argument of the consecration having been done, only to have his mind changed rather dramatically when he examined the facts. And I recommend you get a copy of it if you can find one. His other book, The Secret of Benedict XVI, examines the question of the resignation of Benedict XVI and whether it was legitimate or not. His takeaway is that it appears that Benedict and Francis together sought to create a two-headed papacy, that their aim was to create a system where there are two popes simultaneously with different kinds of jurisdiction, and he has a lot of evidence to back up that hypothesis. Now, he never examines whether that was possible or not, leaving that to the theologians, but it's an interesting take on the Benedict and Francis question. And his take here in this piece is that Francis has lost most of the support he had among the innovators, among the hardline modernists that have been his biggest cheerleaders for the past several years. And he's doing so kind of in response to an article that was written by one of Francis's uh, big Italian cheerleaders. Headline, The Sunset of a Papacy. Pope Francis also has his fans against him. Now, Mr. Sochi begins by referencing an article by a strident modernist that appeared in an Italian outlet that makes the case that Francis is losing his modernist and innovative face. You know, the kinds of people who look at the push for people to stop eating animals the end of, and the end of private ownership of homes and the rest that we're seeing going on right now and think, yeah, that's a good thing, and I'm glad that Francis is working with the same people who want that. That's where Sochi begins. And then this, quote, Maloney, the article that he's referencing, symbol of the school of Bologna and the 
innovative wing of the church, initiates his charge by highlighting that the German Cardinal Marx in his recent letter of resignation was, in effect, asking for the popes instead. Cardinal Marx is the leader of the powerful and affluent German Episcopate, which, through its synod, seems to want a upheaval in the church. The German bishops are historically the supporters of Bergoglio, but their undue haste is not endorsed by him. Now they are plainly disappointed. Maloney then cites other recent episodes, like the papal decree limiting to ten years the mandate of the leaders and bodies of lay ecclesial movements, a norm, according to Maloney, that constricts the rights of the faithful and establishes the liquidation of the leaders presently serving, in the name of an ideologically defined good. Moreover, this is about the leaders of the movements, who are very much aligned to the Bregolian papacy, and who, these past years, have practically faded away. You no longer see their vitality, nor their public appearances, and therefore, in my view, the decree has some positive aspects. End quote. Now, in other words, the work of Francis recently in some ways has been to rein in what he considers the more fringe elements in the church. Consider that in light of some more pontificum, which, when his revisions are released, will almost certainly limit the Latin mass within the absolute authority of the local bishop. Given that 99% of Latin Rite Catholics attend the Novus Ordo, the Latin Mass is generally considered outside the mainstream of Catholic life, to put it mildly. The same philosophy of reigning in these elements applies to the Latin Mass, as it does to the hypermodernists, who want further leveling of the Church and modernizing of its management methods. Robert Mickens, the author of the first piece I quoted for you today, should take note, because while Francis is certainly modernizing the management of the Church, he is doing so in a way that shores up his own authority, in ways that are at odds with historic papacy and reflect more of a parody of what a bad papacy would look like if it was written by someone who is not a member of the church. But there are signs that the group I call the innovators are not happy with Francis either, as Sochi explains here. Quote, It's not the first missile raining down on Bergoglio from the clerical innovators, but now his increasing isolation appears clear. It's enough to consider the cases listed by Maloney, Cardinal Marx and the German bishops, the lay ecclesiastical movements, and a few others, to realize that they are all figures and worlds supporting him, the Argentine Pope is a complex personality, at times difficult to decipher. Some of his initial emphases on Jesus touched deep chords like the need for mercy for modern man. But the Gospel says the Good Shepherd is also the truth made flesh, and asks for conversion. In his present solitude, the Pope finds himself having to acknowledge bitterly that his papacy, for some time now, has been precipitating towards painful failure. If you consider how Bergoglio was acclaimed at the very beginning by the ecclesiastical world, the dream was a triumphant Bergolian effect, you can understand how intense the disillusionment is today, end quote. He goes on and describes how the church is in far worse shape today than it was in 2013 when he ascended the papal throne, and maybe that's true. There's, of course, more to both of those stories, and if you want to read them for yourself, you can find them linked in today's show notes at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this channel with a .org at the end. Skip past the Patreon pop-up unless you want to become a patron of this channel. There's no paywall for my sources, and my site is a good place as a backup to follow me in case you do get a notification from our host about my latest episode. But these stories do illustrate one thing. There's an appearance from those who observe this papacy that it is on the verge of failure. Now, regardless of where the observer lies on the modernist to traditional spectrum, this papacy appears to be teetering. It's an interesting take, but it relies on something that I don't think is valid. It relies on the idea that Francis cares at all that much of what others think of him. Francis has one really great personality trait that I'd like to see in future traditional pontiffs. He clearly doesn't care what people think about his work, except for those who he partners with. One reason why I think both Mr. Sochi and Mr. Mickens are wrong here, but there's another big thing missing in all of this. The coming synod in 2023 is 
going to be Francis's capstone to his papacy, most likely. I mean, he'll be 87 by the time the synod ends, and I expect he'll announce his retirement like his predecessor did, though I doubt that there will be a debate over the language of his retirement announcement like we've seen with, the, with Benedict. But then again, he might not either. He might not retire at all. Francis doesn't really seem like the retiring type either. And there is one other thing that points to this contention that Francis is losing his modernist supporters. This whole valid reception of Holy Communion debacle is really shoring up his support. While he told the American that I call Caesar that he would not be permitted to attend his private mass or even meet with him publicly when he was near the Holy See recently, Francis has attempted to intervene in the USCCP's discussion on valid reception of Holy Communion and the issue of unrepentant public sinners receiving the Eucharist, to such a point that the document that the USCCB was going to release went from being focused on fraternally correcting Caesar and those in his circle on this issue, and has changed into a weak and tepid teaching document that will be utterly meaningless and largely ignored by the rest of the bishops. And that was almost certainly Francis's doing, and it is not the sign of someone who has lost his influence. So the proclamations that Francis's papacy is over are premature. But that's my opinion on this. What's yours? I do find it interesting that two very different Vatican observers in Antonio Sochi and Mr. Maloney are coming to similar conclusions. And I think that Mr. Mickens is closer to the mark here, even if he is way off base in his assessment that taking our cues from the secular world is supposed to be a good thing. But you might have a different opinion on this than I do. So let me know your thoughts on this in the comments, please. And like, subscribe if you haven't, and hit the notification bell so you don't miss a thing. We're clearly headed towards something interesting in the church and in the world, and you don't want to miss any of it. So, as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.